Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Oh, it's so nice to gather together again. This is, uh, that's all I can say. Thank you, Jesus. It is nice to gather again together. Amen. Oh, God is, uh, is always on the throne. Nothing can ever take him off it. Like sometimes we need to just slow down and breathe. No government of this earth takes God off his throne. No pandemic, no rules, no regulations take him off his throne. No bad relationship, no confusion, no fear, nothing takes him off his throne. And when we gather together like this, there is a, there is a corporate anointing that is actually demanded from heaven. We put the demands on heaven. Heaven, his kingdom come, his will be done. Heaven is, is already given to us on earth through the power of the Holy Spirit, by the promise of the word of God. But we actually have the ability to put the demand on heaven. It's faith, it's following the word in our lives, knowing who loves us unconditionally, Knowing who sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on that cross so you and I could get back into an intimate relationship with Father through the Son and resurrected Lord, Jesus Christ. When we gather together corporately in unity, it instantly puts a demand on heaven that his kingdom is coming as come and his will is being done. Where one puts to flight 1,000, two put to flight 10,000. So two coming together in unity puts 10 times authority into the two of them. What does a bunch of us do when we come together in unity? The authority that happens, it cannot happen by just watching at home online. It actually happens when we gather together, where two or three are gathered in his name. He is there amongst us. In other words, just by yourself, do you have as much ability of him as you do when two or three are gathered in his name together in unity? You see, we always have the ability to live in the presence of God, to step into his glory, to live within his glory, in the favor and the blessing and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We all have that. But what does one warrior do when they go against an army of 10,000? It's difficult. Pray, exactly. (laughs) Pray. Well, one of the best ways you can pray in the face of a battle is to rejoice and celebrate all that God is doing in your life. You see, the Israelites were so outnumbered in physical people. And what happens? Against the Midianites, great army that's come to kill them and slaughter the Israelites, what happens? The singers and the dancers go forward. You know what? When, when, when you let fear dictate your ability to war, you will lose the battle before the war has even begun. I will guarantee you the Israelites were probably at that moment when they saw the Midianite and all the armies of the north that had gathered together, I'm sure that some of those warriors' minds thought, 
the odds are definitely not good in our favor right now. So what do we do? Send the worshipers, the prayer team in. Send the warriors in. Well, not not the warriors that fought the fight battle on battle, but the actual ones that actually won the battle before the battle began. They're called the worshipers. What do they do? They go in a dancing and a singing. Like, just think of it. Just, it just gets me so excited. Like in the middle of fear. In the middle of common sense. You know, common sense takes you out of so much favor and blessing of God. It literally thwarts the miracles in your life, common sense. You see, God did not say that you're to live a life of common sense. He says that you and I are to live a life of incredible faith. What is faith? It is absolutely opposes common sense. I'm not saying go be dumb, but some of us need to be dumber in our common sense. Was that really a miracle? Was that really the word from God? Maybe they cheated. Are you kidding me? What happened to actually believe and receive instead of look to create contradiction and conflict and slandered? I would rather believe a word that the Lord gave to me through somebody else than instantly choose to question and not believe it. I'd rather believe and let it be wrong than to have it be right and I chose out of common sense not to get it. So here they come, the dancers. Just imagine, you know, I mean, if you've ever studied church history, or even go over to Israel and watch how Jewish people dance. It's beautiful. They sing, they dance, they're twirling, their flags are going, their trumpets are blowing. And here's this massive army that has come to literally slaughter them. Not just kill the warriors. That army was known to kill the men, the women, the children, the cattle, the dogs, everything that was associated with their enemy, they slaughtered them all. And what happens? Oh, and we're dancing, and we're singing, and we just give God the glory. Give God the glory, glory, rise up and shine up. I mean, you know, this is what they're doing. And the warriors, what do they do? The enemy that's come against them, this massive army that is outnumbered on three, four, five to one. 20 to one, whatever the number is. Oh, their God must have told them that they're going to win. Why? Because the best prayer we can do is celebration. The best lifestyle we can have is the joy of the Lord is our strength. And the worst lifestyle you can ever live in is fear. Fear. Fear of what man says? Are you kidding me? (laughs) If you knew what goes on behind the scenes of a minister's life, especially one that operates in the prophetic realm or the supernatural realm, If you knew the slander, the backstabbing, the biting, 
that happens, most of you would definitely not want to be a minister in the gospel of Jesus. But people's opinions and perspectives cannot dictate or overrule the word of God. I don't care what people think about the supernatural or about the prophetic or about healing signs and wonders. It's not, not my job for you to have a perspective. It's our job as leaders to teach you the word of God and let it fall on open ears, sleepy ears, or deaf ears. But I know that I know what my Bible says, that the word will never come back void. I want to preach the word because I know it is never empty. It is always full. And if Holy Spirit touches you in such a way that you manifest, you jingle, you jiggle, you do whatever, or do nothing physically but touched in a supernatural encounter, if gold dust comes on you, if diamonds fall out of the sky, if feathers drop from the roof, if a smoke of the presence of the glory of God filled this room, whatever it is, however you see it, however you experience it, my prayer is that you open your hearts and open your minds to know that God loves you so intimately that he is calling you into not living a life of fear, but living a life as a conqueror and a victorious living Christian to know that he has already made your path straight if you're willing to walk the straight road called the highway of holiness. Or you can take the, cur the curvy road, as Psalm says, or you can take the highway of holiness. My prayer is that we as a church, as a family, as a community, my prayer is that we will walk the highway of holiness. And you know all those people winding around on the slow road and they see the expressway cars flying by. Well, sure, wish I would be on that road right now. You know what? That's our lifestyle testimony, to live a life in such a way that other people want to be on the road that you're on. That's the call of God in our life. But we will never do it if we live in fear because fear destroys opportunity. Opportunity is in front of us every day. Opportunity is in front of you right now. Opportunity is in front of me right now. Fear will always destroy the opportunity because fear has one very common response. And that response is to hide, to get away. I want to encourage you. God has not said, hide your shining light. Don't put your light under the bush, oh no. Remember that song, what is it? This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Remember that, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, all the time, shine all the time, whatever it is. Don't let Satan it out. I'm gonna let it shine, right? This is our destiny and our call. Even the song speaks of truth, and it's a kid's song that some of us need to re-sing every day in our lives. 
Because it doesn't matter how old you are or who you are, I pretty much guarantee that at some point in your life you experience fear. I'm not talking about fear in a car accident. I'm not even talking about walking across the Capilano suspension bridge and have fear of heights. I'm not talking that kind of fear. I'm talking about a fear that is crippling the people of Christ, that fear that is silencing the warriors, and they'd rather be silenced in a little huddle than go and dance in front of the army in celebrating the victory of Jesus Christ. I'm talking about that fear that is taking your destiny and my destiny and throwing it back into the hands of the devil instead of back into the hands that God destined it to be. That's the fear I'm talking about. This manifestation of fear, it's a one-dimensional thing. If you really think of fear, public speaking, how many people have a bit of fear of public speaking? Put your hand up. That's not uncommon. It doesn't mean you're going to be the best public speaker. But the reality is, is public speaking in your perspective or your eyesight is actually being on a pulpit, speaking in front of people. I want to encourage you, the public speaking that you could look at is actually the lifestyle you live in the public. Because I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of people on a platform with a lot of hot air blowing out. And we need more people that actually are speaking publicly through the power of God, of Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit in them through the power of testimony. I would rather see the power of testimony touch one person than a bunch of hot air coming from the platform. Fear is one-dimensional, but it, it, it literally attaches itself and affects many, if not all, dimensions of your life. Fear is never destined to be a lifestyle. Fear is caused for something to change or has changed to create the fear. So how do you get out of fear? Change whatever caused you to step into the fear. It's actually not even a rocket science perspective. If something has caused you to step into some sort of fear, change whatever that cause was, and you then will step outside and live without a life full of fear. We have to change something. In other words, the experience of fear, it only exposes that something more is going on beneath the surface. You see, fear is one-dimensional. When fear jumps into a life, it's exposing something else that's deeper within the life. I truly believe this is one of the greatest tactics of the enemy, is for people to live a lifestyle of fear. 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 17 1 John 4, 17, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. In other words, let's get a little bit of a hum in the bottom end. As he is, so are we. In other words, Jesus did some suffering. He had accusers. They called him all sorts of things. 
It does. What he's saying is that if you are living as Christ-like, then you probably will have some accusers that come against you. You see, life as a believer is not about having no accusers. Life as a believer is able to live a testimony to lead your accusers back to truth to set them free. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. That's why I feel in my heart to bring this message this morning, to talk about fear, because I guarantee you, the more fear we live in, the less love we're experiencing. Because in perfect love, there is no fear. (laughs) So if I'm fearful of something, I need to find some love. Not in the wrong places. Love from God, from who he says we are and who he knows we're created to be. I look at my wife and I, 32 years of amazing marriage, beautiful children. I got all my family back with us right now. And a couple of the daughters are pregnant, having babies, amen. But you know, when I first started dating my wife, I was a little bit concerned and jealous. Anyone ever been jealous? Glad no one put their hands up. Maybe I'm the only one that would sometimes get a little jealous. First year of marriage wasn't always the easiest. We're still learning perfect love for each other. I thank the Lord we both had love from God on fire, generations of Christianity in both of our lives. So we had a good foundation to start on. And I thank the Lord that we didn't look to the world for what love is. We looked to God and his word for what love is. 32 years later, we're happily married, massively in love with each other. At least I am. Are you, babe? Yeah, okay. She nodded. That's good. Wouldn't want that jealousy to rise up again, but no, I'm just kidding. And you know what? After first, second, third year of marriage, I wasn't worried about her love for me anymore. I wasn't questioning every day, does she love me? Oh, she's talking with a guy. Does she love me still? You know, I wasn't questioning that stuff because perfect love doesn't question even in the middle of a storm. Perfect love is an understanding that you are loved beyond anything else on this earth. That you, not your neighbor, you are unconditionally loved in such a way that God would never leave you or forsake you. He also, in this perfect love, there is no fear. There is no fear. So verse 418 of 1 John is saying that fear is connected to punishment. You live in fear, probably going to connect to punishment in some way. And those who fear have not been perfected in love. So fear is actually like accepting the punishment from fear. 
So the verse is saying it's like a form of punishment living in fear. Could we agree that if you've ever been scared out of your living daylights or you've lived in fear to where you've cowered out or into an area, that it's like a form of punishment? Even fear of heights, would that be like a form of punishment? Like, and then someone holds you out over the skyscraper building saying, ha, 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 look it, look, it's all in your mind. I used to say that to my wife. I realized I was punishing her. It's all in your mind, honey, as I bounced the Capilano suspension bridge while we were still dating. And she's flat on, it didn't have the big wood platforms back then. 32 years ago, it was like ropes. And you stepped on these ropes out over the suspension bridge. And one of our dates, and we weren't even married yet, and her love for me, she went out on it. Don't do that. It's all in your mind, honey. And she's flat on the bottom, hanging on. It's not in my mind. So in reality, because I was pushing her into fear, in a way, I was punishing her. When you live and choose a lifestyle in fear, you are punishing yourself. You're now accepting the punishment of fear. The only fear the Bible tells us to have is the fear of the Lord. And I don't believe that it's a fear that he wants to kill us. I believe it's a fear that we love him so much that we just don't want anything to get in the way of our love. I truly believe that when we experience fear, we need an encounter with the perfect love of God. I mean, even right down to pandemics. Hey, it's good to be wise, absolutely. But it's not good to live in fear of always dying. See, as Paul says, to die is what? Gain. So fear will take you out of the gaining. It puts you into the torment and punishment. I have no doubt in my mind, for everyone, there's a pointed time of death. I have no doubt in my mind that chances are every one of you will die at some point in time unless Christ comes back first. I have no doubt in my mind that at some point I will pass and breathe my last from this earth. I will go from glory to glory. And I don't have fear of it. I've had encounters and experiences of a place I believe to be parts of heaven. And I'll tell you what, I do not have a fear of dying. I still believe there's much more for all of us to do on this earth. I don't believe any one of us will drop dead right now. And if you do, I am jumping off this platform. We're going to raise you back to life. But then in one way, if you're a believer in Jesus, I should go back and jump down and say, well, you're lucky. Perfect love is found in God's word. You want love? Read the word. We must live in his promises to us. Make sure that you never lose trust in the truth that God is perfecting us with his perfect love. We are in a process called life. Uh, and in life, we have to, to continually agree and understand and live with faith knowing that he is still perfecting us. None of us are perfect. I, I hate to blow your bubble, but none of us are perfect. Every one of us are in a process but the true understanding of true identity of love of God will depend on how you deal with the process. You know, I've been 
talking with people about the vaccines and, and the COVID and the new Delta virus and all the new things that are coming out. And, and some people are like, are you vaccinated? What do you think about vaccines? What do you think? Um, I, I'm, just, I'm not an anti-vaxxer in any way. I, 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 I absolutely do not uh, disagree with having vaccines. But I do believe it's a personal choice that you should decide you know, on whether you should or shouldn't. But what I said to my wife is I said, well, if people get vaccinated, they have to know that the love of God is beyond the power of any vaccine. They have to know that the love of God is stronger than a vaccine that could hurt you or a vaccine that could save your life. And if people don't get vaccinated, they have to know that the power and love of God is beyond not being vaccinated. It's beyond a virus or a COVID virus. So I look at it and I say, it really doesn't matter. If you're vaccinated, you're awesome. You're still a believer in God. If you're not vaccinated, awesome. You're still a believer in God. It's your choice as to what, well, for now it's your choice. Well, you're going to get vaccinated, Brent? Well, if I do, it won't hurt me. And if I don't, it won't hurt me either. So either way, I'm still good with it. Make sure you never lose the truth. That we always need to live a life where we trust the truth. How many of you believe that we're been, we've been given a lot of untruths by our news media over the last year and a half? Like, seriously, it is mind-boggling how so many specialists can have 180-degree answers completely opposite of the other specialists. And I know that always happens, but it mind-boggles me. Some of the untruths that we have been delivered over this last season, I want to encourage us. You know, social media isn't truth. Like, it just isn't truth. You know, I remember back in the day when reporters actually reported not their own politics, but they actually reported what they saw. Does anybody remember that? Anyone over 50 in here that remembers that stuff? Do you remember that you actually could believe pretty much what a newspaper would say way, way, way back? Because reporters reported what happened. They didn't report their view of what happened. They reported what happened. There was a bad car accident out on Highway 1, and da-da-da-da, and this happened, and that happened, and these people were injured, and these weren't. Oh, wow, bummer. Well, now, now it might say something like, well, there was a car accident out on Highway 1, and because uh, uh, they were a racist that they had this accident, and they caused this other accident and killed all these people because they're... The wrong color or something, I don't know. I was taught in my life, red, yellow, black, and white, we are equal in his sight. What is that one? Yellow, red, black, and precious in his sight. Yeah, in his sight. I, I was actually taught not to look at color. For crying out loud, I was born in Bogota, Colombia, South America. I grew up in South America. I, it's like my son Justin. He was only four months old when we went down into Mexico. He actually ran to brown people easier because they always grabbed him and held him and comforted him his whole early years of life. When we came home to all the white people, he sort of would stay with mom and dad. 
Like, we've taught our kids, don't be racist. Like, we're, 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 I'm just so saddened that we're going back into racism again. It's like we've gone 200 years backwards. This here doesn't see color. The blood of Jesus Christ was the same color as your blood, the same color as my blood. It was red and it flowed from that tree because we are all family in Jesus Christ. When we live in God's perfect love, we begin to realize that God is not looking to punish us. In God's love, he's not looking for you to screw up. He's not sitting up there on his throne, hey, angels, I'm looking, what, let, 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 let's watch Mr. Brent Borthwick down there. He's getting ready to do a big screw up. That's not God. Matter of fact, God would probably be completely opposite and is completely opposite in that perspective. He probably is sensing and feeling, huh, we need to get a little empowerment of Holy Spirit onto Brent Borthwick because he might be passing a little road that he shouldn't be going down. And all of a sudden, I thank the Lord, we're in such a prophetic community. Guaranteed, someone in my leadership team will call me up, hey, been praying about you, Brent, how are you doing? And come alongside and hold our hands and walk together, dancing and singing and praising God. Because God is the provider, he's not the taker away. He will always provide someone to help you and help me get out of every disaster and every situation. He will help you and he will help me get out of fear by providing a community around us. We just have to choose to be in the community. When we live in fear, it's like a cracked wall in our hearts. And those cracks begin to knock the wall down and it begins to give access to the enemy to torment us. I want to talk about a man named Nehemiah. A book was written about him, actually Ezra as well. What an incredible man this Nehemiah was. He actually wasn't a priest. He was a lay person. He wasn't a hierarchy in the, in, the, in the governmental structure of religion. He tended to the king, cup provider of the king. But he had something. He had no fear, or at least if he did, he eliminated it with great faith. He was called by God as to become one of the great leaders of Israel. It's a first-hand, Nehemiah is a book where the, it's a first-hand powerful testimony of rebuilding the ancient walls of Jerusalem and the gates. And Nehemiah faced tremendous opposition. Everything said impossible. Even the people of Israel said impossible. Because the enemy had come and smashed the walls and burnt the gates up to the city. But you see, Nehemiah heard from the Lord. And he had faith to believe that, well, actually, when I hear from God, and it truly is God, nothing is impossible. He might have been scared out of his living daylights to step in to an appointed position that he was going to get. But he never let it show. 
and he always overcame it by understanding the love of God. In rebuilding the wall, people were so against him, but it represented to the people a renewal of faith. It, the faith was gone. So much was destroyed in the Israelites' lives. They were shamed. But something that Nehemiah came overpowered national shaming that went on against the Israelites. That level of faith, not fear, but faith, was starting to reform the whole conduct of the Israelites. Oh, I long to have an increased level of faith that Nehemiah had. Because his testimony, it teaches us about supernatural fortification in our lives. How to build the supernatural walls that protect us. Nehemiah's testimony can teach us how to utilize the strength of being a part of a healthy community. I thank the Lord for a healthy community in Windward Church. I tell you, I honor, I honor Willis and Linda and their whole team that have raised up the life groups in this church. And if you're here, if you're here in a part and you're not part of a life group, I tell you what, it's your choice not to be. And I want to encourage you, make the decision today to talk to Willis or Linda or any one of us about being a part of a life group. Through the hands of Nehemiah and the hands of Jerusalem, God reveals prophetic keys to show us how he rebuilds our walls and strengthens our gates again. And I want to talk to you quickly about some of these prophetic decrees that Nehemiah gave us. Nehemiah's name actually means comforter. It means comforter. So God has sent us a comforter. We don't call him Nehemiah, we call him Holy Spirit. But you see, God sent Nehemiah to bring comfort to the Israelites. God sends Holy Spirit to us to bring comfort to his people. The Holy Spirit gives us wisdom on how to build up walls of protection, how to build up walls of our flesh, of protecting our flesh, how to eliminate those Constant attacks, the barrage of the enemy. Holy Spirit gives us wisdom and power and the authority of the name of Jesus Christ gives us the overcomer attitude to know that I do not need to listen to a lying and deceiving devil, that I listen to the promises of God in my identity. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 18. Isaiah 60, verse 18, violence shall no longer be heard in your land. How many of us want that to happen in Canada? <laughs> violence shall no longer be heard in your land, neither wasting nor destruction within your borders. But this is the point I want to make. But you shall call your walls salvation. Oh, how do we rebuild our walls? Salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. You shall call your walls salvation and your gates 
praise. In Nehemiah's day, what did the enemy do to the walls and the gates? They knocked the walls down and they burnt the gates because they were made of wood. They burnt the gates. What does the enemy want to do? He wants to knock your walls down. What is the greatest way he can knock your wall down? He burns your praise out of you. I want to declare to you, we are in such a time as this that we should be praising the Lord 24-7. No matter what's going on, do not let your praise be knocked out. Fear knocks our walls and burns our gates down, and that gives access to the enemy in our lives. Some of that fear is caused out of a bad relationship or a bad situation in the past that someone you might have loved, I'm prophesying somewhat right now, hurt you so bad that you haven't been able to let go of trust. That you haven't let go of that pain to be able to trust someone again because you're scared you're gonna get hurt again. I wanna tell you what, perfect love never looks at the past to find its way. Perfect love always looks to the future to be the way, the truth, and the life. You can force the presence of fear to get out by living in the presence of the comforter. You wanna get rid of fear? Live in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and that fear gets the swift boot in the butt right out of your life. Let's start rebuilding our walls of salvation. Well, I'm saved. Yeah, let's increase the strength of the walls of our salvation. And let's use the wood of the cross to build our doors. The blood that flowed down that wood It's your door, it's your gate of protection. Nehemiah refused to be reduced by fear. We learn from Nehemiah's story that he felt fear, but he moved forward with the impossible task that was set before him. Even though he admits that he was fearful of the call, he still went forward. He didn't let that fear stop his forward momentum. I'm encouraging some of us That we've let fear stop our forward momentum. But God has never told us not to be moving forward. We are an advancing people. We are an overcoming people. We are a people that live with the victory of the blood of Jesus and the resurrected power. That we are not to sit down and do nothing. We are instead to kick the chairs of comfort out and stand up and rise up like a mighty warring army that is called into the destiny to reach this lost and dying world. I want to ask you something. Be honest. If right now you had five times your boldness, what would you do? If you had five times boldness right now in you, what would you do? Well, I'd run up on that pulpit. I'd go do this. I'd go preach to my neighbor. Well, if your answer is anything other than what you're doing right now, then you're actually being reduced by the influence of fear. Well, if I had five times boldness, 10 times, 20 times boldness, this is what I, I would go to the nations and preach the gospel. Then you're being influenced by fear if that's not what you're doing. 
We're called to be courageous. <laughs> we're called to walk in such a power and an authority to gather together in community, to start to walk the highway of holiness with the fire and the presence of God lighting our path, to not sit in your high-powered Corvette and not put your foot down to the floor once in a while. I mean, I don't do that, but I just... To sit... <laughs> To know that you have the most powerful motor inside of you. Supercharged motor. Or turbos if you like turbos. Nitrous if you like nitrous. Why don't you go for all three of them? To know that that's in you. Well, where is your gas pedal right now? How far down is your loud pedal going? The right foot's. If it's not flat on the floor right now in your life, going as fast as you can for God's glory, then you're being influenced by some sort of fear. We're called to walk with the spirit of the living God in such power that hell is scared right out of us. Many of you have been tossed around by the storms of life. I get it. And sometimes those storms leave some lasting effects. But fear, when I go through a storm as a captain in the yachts, wow, the wind blew 50 knots and we had 18 foot seas off the coast. Praying like all get outs when I'm running the ship. But after I experienced 50 knots and 18-foot seas, they didn't seem as bad next time it blew 50 knots. And wouldn't you know, wouldn't you know that when Sharon and I, at that time, we only had Samantha and Jessica. Sam, Sam was not even two years old. Justin was, sorry, Sam and Justin. Justin was only four months old when we sailed a 40-foot sailboat down the Fraser River right out past Victoria, out the Juan de Fuca, 150 miles offshore. Our next point of land was San Francisco five and a half days later. And the weather looked beautiful. We all waited for the right weather. And out we went. Oh, it was a beautiful sunny day. I remember it clearly. Four-month-old Justin, not quite two-year-old Samantha. My wife, who gets seasick. But she was on gravel, and Justin was breastfeeding, so he was zonked out too. And the wind started to blow, and I'm like, whoa, beautiful sunny day, calm seas. We're like, this is the perfect trip. By midday, I'm putting a reef in the mainsail. That means I'm now shortening down the mainsail because the boat is going beyond the healing point that it should. By early evening, I've got three reefs in the mainsail. I've got a storm jib up, and it's now getting dark, and the waves are building and building. And I'm no longer saying to myself, oh, what a beautiful, perfect day. 
I'm thinking, what the craziness are we doing out here? And bam, the storm nails us for five days. 70 knots of wind. That's 80 some miles per hour. I don't know, what is that in kilometers? 60s, 100. 120, 130 kilometer hour winds on the ocean. 25 foot seas with at least eight feet of sea breaking on the top. And I'm out there strapped on to what I thought was a big 40 foot boat, but when you're out in that kind of power, it all of a sudden seemed very small. My wife and two kids are downstairs. Remember, after one or two days of this 24-7, I'm up there five and a half days, not sleeping. Well, I have a little timer that I set for 15 minutes because I didn't have radar on the boat. We only had Loran back then, and Loran disappeared 20 miles offshore. So I'm dead reckoning my position. And I would get tired, so I'd set my little timer. You know, one of those oven timers, the round ones. Tick, 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 bing. Remember that? It wasn't digital, it was mechanical. And I had that strapped on to the little windshield as I'm sitting out in the weather, strapped and tied to the boat so I won't get knocked off. 15 minutes. Ding! I open my eyes and I have to look around the whole horizon to make sure no ship is going to run us over. That was five and a half days. That was my start to full-time ministry. We got into San Francisco. Five and a half days later, I had processed how this ministry started. <laughs> if I had any common sense back then, I surely wouldn't have done it. God had spoken to us and our leaders confirmed the word maybe I needed some walls rebuilt in my life some doors reestablished of his glory I will say one thing when you're out in a storm in that ocean you do learn how to pray <laughs> I remember Samantha, not quite two years old, I think on day three or day four, popped her head up out of the cabin. She wanted to come out. So we got her life jacket on, tied her to the boat. She came out and sat with daddy for about five minutes. And then I remember her first words, daddy, where's the bucket? tell people now I don't know if I could have ever done what we did but somehow having a faith knowing that God has specifically spoken to you for great purposes and destiny 
Somehow that kept us on that boat and kept us going. Seven people lost their lives in that storm. One was a commercial fisherman, fishing boat off of the Oregon coast. It rolled and flipped and all four lives were gone. Seven people lost their lives in that storm. And here we are. God called us to go preach the gospel. Didn't even know what we were going to do when we got to Mexico. We just knew we were called to go. (laughs) Fear makes you feel powerless. Fear makes you feel exposed and vulnerable. Fear makes you feel insecure. Fear blinds you from seeing any true way forward. I want to encourage you that you are not victims. Not as sons and daughters of the king. You are not victims. That is a lie from a deceiving devil. I encourage you that the Holy Spirit in you is restoring you back to the fullness and the greatness of your destiny and your identity through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. If you learn anything from Nehemiah, it should be with with God by your side, nothing is impossible. That God by your side, it puts fear in the presence of your enemies. Nehemiah identified low and exposed places in the wall. He actually went out at the nighttime secretly to look at the wall and see what his job entailed. I think right now this morning it's important to secretly go inside and take a look at your walls. Some have built walls, wrong walls, to try to isolate some, some of you, the devil has cracked your walls and burnt your doors and is attacking you in many ways. But Nehemiah, he strategically sets guards, specific guards by the areas that they first started to rebuild. He calls the low and exposed places We need to be aware of the tactics of a lying devil that he uses to come against us. If we learn his tactics, we have a greater life of victory in us. Maybe a low place, it's in an area that maybe you've been tempted in, but you haven't fallen into the sin, but you keep getting tempted in it, whether it's porn, whether it's excessive alcohol, whatever it is, That's called a low place, supernaturally. We need to fortify that area. I think that's where community, and Nehemiah was so good with community, he actually built the faith of the community in such a way that they gathered together. I believe that if you have some low points in your life, you need to share that with someone close to you who is not in agreement with you but who's willing to talk to you and say, you're better than those attacks. You don't deserve them. That's not what your call is. Exposed places. It's where you've already given in to temptation. 
in those exposed places where you failed in the past. It's a direct access area where the enemy will come at you over and over and over again and cause you such great pain. We need to strategically assign people, godly people in our lives. Again, not ones that are going to agree with you, but ones that are going to look at you and say, you're better than that, and I'm here to help you walk through that. And we're going to grow stronger and stronger, and we're going to rebuild those places, exposed areas of our lives. I like what Papa Chris Volatin says. Find someone who will slap you into wisdom. Find someone who will slap you into wisdom. You did what? Bam! Nehemiah worked inside of community and he never worked outside of community. You want to conquer fear? Surround yourself with people who call you out and who call you up and who call you higher and higher and higher. If you hang around people that are constantly calling you down, let them go. Get rid of them and hang around people that are going to encourage you and call you higher and higher and higher. Nehemiah, he assigned entire families that had unique strengths and he assigned them to specific sections of the wall. Be involved in family. Maybe some of you say, well, I just don't have much family. Yes, you do. You're in here sitting with your family. You have family. And don't let the enemy tell you anything different. And under God's leadership in Nehemiah's life, Nehemiah completed the wall in 52 days. You see, your broken wall is not a lifelong struggle. It doesn't have to be. It's not destined to be. 52 days with everybody pitching in. The warriors standing guard. The workers working together. I believe that's what this ministry is destined for. That in days to come, there's revival that's birthing and growing and breaking out when a family that truly loves God and stands on His Word. Jason Volatin says, I found many circumstances that were greater than me, but I've never found a circumstance that was greater than my family. I go through circumstances in life that are beyond my ability to handle it by myself. But I have family. And I have never found and I never will find a circumstance that is stronger and greater than our families. Isaiah 54 verse 12. I will make you pinnacles of rubies. <laughs> These are the promises of your identity right here. Your gates of crystal and all your walls of precious stones. 
All your children shall be taught by the Lord. And great shall be the peace of your children. You see, when you and I win the battles of our own lives, it allows our children to live in a peace that they would have never grasped if the parents can't live in the victory. Verse 14. In righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far, far, far from oppression. For you shall not fear. And from terror, for it shall not come near you. I want to declare Isaiah 54, 14 over us all, over you all right now, anyone who's watching. In righteousness, you will be established. Let's all stand. If you believe this, do we have it up? Let's say this together. In righteousness, you shall be established. Now, let's change it a little bit. Let's make it personal and say I instead of you. In righteousness, I shall be established. I shall be far from oppression, for I shall not fear. And from terror, for it shall not come near me. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Father, we stand together in holy matrimony. That's what I want to say right now. It's unbelievable. I feel like I'm marrying somebody. But maybe there's a reason I'm sensing it in my spirit. Father, we stand together in unconditional love like a holy marriage. We, this family called Windward, we stand together right now in unconditional love. None of us deserved it and none of us deserve it now. And I hear the heavens boom with a loud voice of thunder. I knew you before the foundations of the earth were laid. I sent you my son who died and rose again. Because I declare, says the Lord, you deserve it all. You deserve it all, says the Lord. You are my people, says the Lord. You did not deserve that pain, that hurts, that slander. But you deserve all my love, says the Lord. I see Christ. hanging on that cross crying out Father, Father forgive them for they know not what they do and then he said into your hands I commit my spirit and I feel like he declared 
some of our dumb mistakes in advance <laughs> for we just didn't know what to do. But I feel in my own life right now, and maybe you do too, by saying, but Father God, into your hands I commit myself. I commit my breath, I commit my life. I commit my family, I commit my jobs, I commit my businesses, I commit my ministries. I commit my name that your name will be the name above all names in my life. I commit my spirit into your hands, oh Father God. And I see the angels crying, holy, 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 worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb who was slain. And they throw their crowns down. I even believe in the heavens right now their swords and their shields are thrown down as all of heaven bows and rejoices and sings of the glory of God. And every little devil and every little demon is screaming in this place, around this place. And running out of your lives, of your marriages, of your families. And fear is strapped around their necks, choking them out as it leaves us. And the overwhelming love and presence of God invades us like a mighty rushing wind. Miracles happening. Tumors dissolving right now. Pain from years ago being silenced and rejected in Jesus' name. but I see this bright light stand in front of each one of us. He's worthy. And he reaches out and touches us supernaturally right now. Looks into your eyes as you look into his. Tears flowing down his face as he says, I love you more than anything, more than words can express. I love you. Go now.
knowing that you are unconditionally loved. I see him turn and speak to what seems to be the Holy Spirit and says, and go with them and guide their way. And the army rises, grabs their swords and their shields, and starts dancing in praise. I want to encourage you all to live a lifestyle of worship and always praise Him for the good things that He has done and is doing in your lives. And speak those good things over your life, over your spouse's life, over your future spouse over your sons, your daughters, your future children. Speak those good things. For he is a good, good God. And he is worthy of our praise. I love you all. Amen.